0: everyone, to Andy Here's the 80s, the show where we try to find the absolute best albums from the 1980s. Here in season two, we examine the work of a different band or artist each episode, and this week we are diving headfirst into the 80s albums of Prince. And joining me, as always, on this musical adventure is my co-host Aaron Keck. How are you, Aaron? Good. How are you? Doing well. Uh, we, of course, heard Purple Rain early last season. Uh, that was in our major releases episode, which, saying it now, major release... Definitely sounds like it could be the title of a Prince song, actually. <laughs> but...
1: It's really more of a really more of a theory with Prince.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, but since we discussed it on that episode, we aren't going to go too much into Purple Rain itself in the episode. I will, of course, touch on it. But uh, Prince happened to release seven other albums in the 80s uh, that we're going to discuss that aren't Purple Rain. So I really wanted to focus on those for now. But uh, before we dig in, Aaron, I wanted to ask... How much of the non-purple rain canon were you familiar with going into this?
1: A uh, very little. Like it, it's kind of typical for me with with 80s artists for the most part, like all I know is the hits. I haven't really mm-hmm. dived into too many of the albums very much. So, how much Prince did I know? I had I had listened to Purple Rain for last season's episode. Uh, I knew I knew the hits. I knew Raspberry Beret, Lower Red Corvette, 1999, a couple of others. Um, I actually knew, and it was funny. We were talking. You gave me the list of all of the Prince albums, and I was like, "Well, the the one Prince album." That I know the most is from the 1980s and not on this list, which is the Batman soundtrack. Like that was my introduction to Prince more than anything else. And I think that's those are still to this day the Prince songs that I'm most familiar with just because I was nine years old when that movie came out. So I watched it incessantly. So I've heard all these other songs maybe, you know however many times but double that and that's the number of times i've heard all the print songs off the batman soundtrack so that's where i'm coming from
0: I yeah you know. I, I saw you know i'm the same same boat basically i heard all the mm-hmm. hits and everything familiar with that and i and i saw you know on the list that the batman soundtrack was you know technically considered a prince album because i mean it, it is essentially he wrote an album's right. worth of material for the batman movie and uh i was but I mean, like I said, there's eight other albums from the '80s. I was like, oh, "This is, you know, this is an hour long show. I can only really talk about it so much. I guess right, it's right. Probably fine to stop before." the We Batman also have
1: but. lives and things, you know. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> true. Yeah, listen to these 14 albums from uh, from this extremely prolific artist.
0: Yeah, if he had done, you know, two or three other albums, yeah, I would have included the Batman soundtrack. But I mean, there is plenty of Prince to to listen to yes. other than the Batman yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. Which is good. I did listen to it and like, okay, yeah, it's good. But, yeah,
1: it's pretty good. Yeah, Definitely pretty better good. in the context of the movie than if you if you just listen to it independently. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, but yeah, you know, I picked up some of these after our season last year, um, and that's kind of what spurred me on to think. All right, well, there's there's a lot to talk about with Prince. I mean, maybe that's maybe that goes without saying. But I mean, he is such a prolific artist that has created so much music that is. Uh, you know, a significant both in quantity and quality. So I think it's worth digging into kind of the whole 80s uh, discography for him. Uh, I also picked up uh, the book, The Beautiful Ones, which came out uh, in 2019. It is a memoir that Prince himself was working on prior to his death uh, that uh, is very interesting. It it covers all of what he had written up to that point. It also then goes into... uh, what the his co-author Dan Pippenberg had been, what his experiences were working with him, and then it also has a an original treatment for Purple Rain, the movie, which is very interesting. Ooh, nice. Yeah, what does The good,
1: Beautiful Ones refer to as the title?
0: Well, he mentions that too. There's obviously the song from Purple Rain, The Beautiful Ones, that he's alluding to, but then he also, Prince kind of referred to himself and his fans and anyone he was inspired by as the beautiful ones so okay. this is kind of his world was full of the beautiful ones and that's kind of where he took the title from but yeah it's a great book and it also has a ton of uh archival photos and stuff that were uh, prince's own uh, photos that were contributed to the book uh it's, it's really cool
1: nice Although you're burying the lead here, because in addition to reading that book, you also uh, subjected yourself to the film Under the Cherry Moon, did you not?
0: <laughs> no, I did. And we will get there. But,
1: uh... <laughs> okay. All right. As long, as long as we get there eventually, because I did not subject myself to Under the Cherry Moon, so I will I will be waiting with anticipation to see what you say about this.
0: <laughs> well, stay tuned, because uh, okay, well, we got to start from the beginning first. So. All right. Prince Rogers Nelson, of course, born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, 1958, son of Maddie Della Shaw and John Lewis Nelson. Uh, He was named after his father's stage name, which he performed in a jazz band uh, under the name Prince Rogers. Uh, Both parents were jazz musicians, actually, and naturally surrounded him with music from an early age. Uh, His parents divorced when he was seven. Uh, He lived with his mother at first until she remarried when he was around 10. And so about 12 years old, he moves in with his father. ...in North Minneapolis. Uh, His father was very supportive of his creativity, naturally. I mean, he named him after his jazz group. uh, And more so probably than his mother was, which which helped uh, Prince start to develop those musical skills. Uh, But he realized that his apartment in North Minneapolis wasn't maybe the best environment for Prince growing up. So he moved him in with his aunt uh, over on the South Side, where he started to go to grade school. And then in high school, gets together with a friend by the name of Andre Simone, begins playing in a band... And high school is really when both his love of music and women naturally begin to blossom. And uh, in the book, Prince, uh, believe it or not, goes more into the latter than the former. But uh, no
1: kidding, really?
0: <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't guess it.
1: I you but, shocked the hell out of me. Uh, uh,
0: but he does mention uh, being blown away by uh, Rufus and Shaka Khan, which is great considering what uh, you know. We mentioned last week, obviously, he was a big influence on Shaka herself later, and of course covered uh, "I Feel for You." So it's cool to see it kind of come full circle like that.
1: This is Uh, also the best, I think the best formula for raising a future musical superstar is to Mm -hmm. raise the kid in a musical family, surround them with musical instruments, be very supportive of their efforts to develop themselves musically, but also give them some adversity, you know, in in childhood that they're going to have to deal with and engage with and overcome and work out with their songwriting and their musicality. This is like, this is just A, B, C, D, E, like the perfect formula for raising a, a, a pop superstar i think
0: yeah you can't make it if you
1: want to you raise your kid to grow up to be a, a pop icon or a music icon uh follow follow the steps of, of prince's parents
0: yeah for sure uh but he in high school you know he's in this band with his friend andre like i said uh puts together that band called champagne they begin playing around town uh, but prince is still even from the very beginning just writing constantly and Mm -hmm. uh, he puts together a demo in 1976 over at a local uh, sound studio in Minneapolis. This gains the attention of a man named Owen Husney who would sort of act as his manager at this point and get him into another studio for another demo that eventually gets him signed by Warner Brothers at age 19. And following some, uh, some resistance from the label, Prince would be able to play every instrument on the album as well as produce it himself. And so in April of 78, for you, his debut album is released, and is very fairly well received, both uh, critically and commercially. With uh, singles "Soft and Wet" and "Just as Long as We're Together," hitting the charts, and so right away he's already gaining success as a young musician.
1: Get to we'll get to Dirty Mind in just a second, but one of, the, one of the things that I read about Dirty Mind when that came out, and that was his third album, right? Uh mm-hmm. was Man, this is a huge departure for Prince. Like his his first couple of albums were so, you know, romantic and, and genteel, and now he turns around and he releases this like super sexy uh sexed up album and i love that in the context of a guy whose first single from two years before was a song called soft and wet so that tells you yeah. like the baseline for where prince was coming from that he just amped up even more in the 80s
0: yeah completely there's if your first single is called soft and wet you can't be surprised by anything else that comes after that i don't think yeah it, and you have, you have to just figure, figure out how to attention. heighten
1: like you gotta, <laughs> if that's your starting point, like you've got you've to gotta build up from there. Like That's a really high bar to start heightening from, but he figured out a way to do it.
0: Yeah, we're lucky probably that uh, Tipper Gore didn't find out about him until Purple Rain because <laughs> otherwise he'd too have busy no career. Focused on,
1: uh, she was too busy focusing on Zappa.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, but For You it was recorded over several months in several different studios and as a result went wildly over budget and, and was draining on Prince. Uh, So consciously, he tried to expedite this process going into his second album, recording it in just a few weeks for about a quarter of the budget of the first one. Uh, He still played every instrument and self-produced it. In October of 79, he releases that self-titled second album, which included the hits I Want to Be Your Lover, uh, the arena rock jam Bambi, and of course, the song Shaka Khan would turn into a hit several years later, I feel for you. It was a big success, sold over a million copies within a few months. Uh, but both of these first two albums, you know, they, they definitely showcase his talents, of course, as a multi-instrumentalist and songwriter. Uh, I think he, he makes a good blend of funk, pop and soul, like right out of the gates. So, I mean, he, he finds it pretty early on. I think it's just kind of refining it from this point. And like we mentioned, you know, the lyrical content was still there from the beginning. I mean, there wasn't any getting around it. But he he doubles down and going into his third album, Dirty Mind. Uh, we'll go ahead and play the uh, title track from Dirty Mind, and then we'll come back and talk about uh, his third album. Yeah, I think you know. With this one, he's uh, revealing himself uh, more with every album, uh, both literally and figuratively. I mean, there's more of him on display on the cover each time as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to the point where you can't really heighten too much from that. Uh, once <laughs> yeah. The Mind comes out. Although, although again, he manages to do it later on in the in the decade. So, my my immediate take on this album is that more than anything, it reminds me of Straight Outta Compton, NWA, because that was the one album in the last season that we listened to and I said, man, you've got all of these artists and all of these albums who come out and frequently they're labeled as dangerous or transgressive, right? Mm-hmm. But 10, 20 years later, you look back on those artists and it, it, they're just quaint and you know they're having a good time. But they're not really transgressive. They're not really dangerous. NWA was the one album that we listened to from last season that really still held up in the present day as actually transgressive and actually Mm -hmm. a a stark challenge to uh, present day society. I feel the same way about this particular album, not in the same way, obviously, but in the way that when this album came out in 1980, I'm sure it was widely characterized as sexually obscene. Well, it still is like a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff in this album is still pushing boundaries that exist even today, 40 years later, which to me is fascinating that he was able to do that, uh, back 40 years ago and also get away with it and be, and be super popular out of this album.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, f- nobody else, uh in 1980 or otherwise i don't i think was making a you know a funky pop hit about incest right i mean yeah no nobody's gone there before or since although I don't think, although
1: so. if you were going to do it 1980 was probably the year
0: <laughs> certainly yeah but yeah it's it is uh, I would say deliberately provocative, uh, and certainly, like we said, we couldn't be surprised by it. But it is, uh, it is noticeable still, I think, which and not in a bad way. But I mean, it it does still stand out as something that is striking. But and the music is just as of, catchy too.
2: Yeah,
1: and there are a couple of songs that you can think of from that same period that are nominally about like oral sex or or mm-hmm. kind of. Uh, things like that, but they're all, they're all kind of goofy jokey, almost like Prince just goes all in on it and says, here's what we're singing about. Here's what we're talking about. And I'm going to just like, this is going to be a sexy song about oral sex as opposed to, uh, yeah, I can't even, I even think of one off the top of my head that's contemporary, but, uh, but it's, yeah. Yeah. It's I'm sure, you know,
0: even probably later in the decade when something like, uh, cherry pie comes out i'm sure Prince right heard that have right. like, done goofy, that
1: already <laughs> right yeah exactly like yeah, yeah so, okay thanks very much but mm-hmm. yeah they weren't they yeah. weren't being serious with that like prince was being serious like not yeah, exactly. not tongue-in-cheek like not totally straight face like not winking at the audience
0: yeah definitely it's a. Uh, it's still, he's owning it, right? He owns the yes. music and the lyrics in all of this in a way that makes it, uh, whether or not it's sincere or not, it feels genuine, right, as opposed to just posturing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's a very fun record still. And uh, this he produces it again, but this is where a couple other credits in the, in the recording studio start to sneak in. Uh, this is the first time that uh, Lisa Coleman would appear on background vocals, on head, and then uh, Dr. Fink is on the keyboards on that same song, as well as Dirty Mine. So he is, after those first two albums, having played everything, there is a couple bits here where he's starting to open up and collaborate a little more. There's a great photo inside uh, in the liner notes, too, of the band at that point where, you know, Prince is in the same outfit as he is on the cover, but then you've got everybody else dressed up in ways that Prince, uh, you know, wanted his backup band to be. I mean, so you've got Dr. Fink in his scrubs. You have uh, Andre is in the back in kind of like a Prince Jr. mode. He's got his, his jeans like completely undone with a trench coat open. Uh, Dez is back there with the checkered pants and tie, no shirt. And then you've got Bobby Z in the background looking like, uh, almost looks like one of the Beastie Boys in the Sabotage video. He's got a suit yeah. with a big mustache.
1: What do we know about... The relationship that Prince had with the other people in the band because I can imagine Prince not being the easiest person to get along with or having a working relationship with but I don't know
0: yeah from, from what it seems uh, I mean especially uh, this early on you know they are his touring band and they are you know he's basically teaching them all the parts and they are they're serving that purpose right they're playing the live shows all the parts that he can't play because he's an only one man but as it goes on, he's especially uh, Lisa, and then later Wendy, who would come in as well. They're the ones who really can can break him down a little bit, and I think uh, mm-hmm. let down some of the walls that he built up around himself. And so you see it again once they leave. The kind of that that relationship gets strained between the bands again. But because he, he is, he's a very singular artist. But he is, uh, I mean, he can still be fun, and that's been kind of the message that some of his friends and right and bandmates have said that he is very intense about the music but can let that guard down occasionally and be nice and and it's mentioned in the book too you know his co-author would you know you hear about prince especially by the by the time 2016 rolls around and you're that he's got this 30 plus year career built around him you know he's a he's a legend as much as he is a person but but you meet him and he's still just he can just be a normal guy so i think it came and it came and went as far as personality with prince But, of course, the one thing that was always consistent about Prince is that he never never stopped writing. So right after Dirty Mind, he took a little little time to write and work right away on the next album, Uh, his fourth, released in October of 81, Controversy. I'll go ahead and play the fourth single released from the album. This is Do Me Baby, and then we'll discuss the record.
1: This was easily my favorite song off of this album and mm-hmm. going back to Dirty Mind one of the reasons that I liked it so much is that it was it didn't try to say anything it didn't try to it didn't try to be transgressive it just was by virtue of like just Prince being who he is and what he was singing about and just sort of effortlessness I loved that about this particular song the rest of the album uh, for me in this particular case not so much because he was trying I thought like Mm -hmm. he was trying to be political he was trying to make a statement and I didn't think there was anything about what he was saying that was all that special or spectacular so I just kind of wanted him to get back to I wanted him to get back to the sexy stuff was, was what I wanted out of this album and he finally did with that song
0: yeah that, that probably is also my favorite on the record and mm-hmm. even in the book he describes it as one that he knew right away you could point to as a signature jam you know, a mm-hmm. song that was uniquely his and I agree that it's such a uniquely Prince ballad that I think it's the, the high point of the album to me I, I think that uh, I don't dislike necessarily any of the songs but I do agree that he hasn't quite found the way that he is going to talk about uh, you know topics other than sex and love right yeah and he so, will
1: later, like some of yeah. some of my favorite songs from these albums are very overtly political songs, but he isn't there yet.
0: Mm-hmm. But I, I liked, uh, you know, the same thing with any of these artists. I like hearing the evolution, and this is such like a clear stepping stone to where he's going to go that I think there's that aspect to it that's very fun. Uh, but yeah, the <laughs> the parts that remind me of Dirty Mind and stuff like that, those are the high points of it for me yeah. still.
1: That's Prince and the evolution, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Prince and the Evolution. Uh, but uh, there is, Lisa is again credited with some backing vocals on three of the songs, Controversy, Ronnie Talk to Russia, and Jack You Off, which uh, is the first appearance of the letter U in an album title. Uh, and then Dr. Fink plays on a couple of these as well, Bobby Z on the drums. Uh, I think, and Do Me Baby 2 is a, uh, a great example of his vocal range increasing too, right? Mm-hmm. So he was when he first recorded those couple those first couple albums he still, still thought of himself as an instrumentalist first and a vocalist second right? so he, he performed almost exclusively in that falsetto range because that was the most comfortable for him uh, a much more qu- quiet kind of delivery that matched maybe his uh, or didn't quite match with the rest of his performance but now you can f- hear him opening up and gaining that range and becoming more comfortable as a vocalist too which I think is is really good yeah, and the the other funny thing is this is uh, the trench coat he wears on the cover is definitely the same trench coat from the. Uh, <laughs> you what don't necessarily g- no, notice. What that.
1: gives it away? Is there like a is there like a spot on it or or what? The
0: the studs on the shoulder and then the pin is is exactly the same. Okay it's a dirty mind of course a black and white photo so you don't necessarily realize that it's a purple jumpsuit but or a purple trench coat but yeah it's exactly the same one
1: <laughs> although in in hindsight it, it makes perfect sense
0: that it would be <laughs> yeah right? why yeah, yeah why wouldn't it not be a purple trench coat <laughs> but i definitely thought that was funny there are in the in the book too you can see a lot of alternate uh you know pictures from these photo shoots and stuff which brought home that it was the same outfit but yeah, you can write a lot of music in a year, but maybe you don't always change your wardrobe as often, I don't think.
1: Look, they got the largest mall in the world in Minneapolis. Just go there and buy a suit for God's <laughs> sake. That's
0: sick. true. Well, they didn't yet, I guess. Still.
1: <laughs> <laughs> your prince build it and then go.
0: Yeah. Well, you would uh, of course between all of these albums, you'd go on tour uh and then in the while also writing the next album. Uh, so and you know his band that he assembled that we have talked about a little bit already to, he he modeled them after Rufus and Sly and the Family Stone before them and uh, he wanted it to always consist of men and women of various ethnicities and the lineup would change occasionally but uh, you know you've heard some of their names already Bobby Z Dr Fink Lisa Coleman uh, his longtime friend Andre Simone would leave the group after Dirty Mind and be replaced by Mark Brown on bass or Brown Mark as he would be credited. Uh, vocalist Jill Jones, credited as JJ, would join the group around this time as well. And at this point, they don't technically have a name yet for his backup band, but that would almost change on the next album. Uh, in October of 82, 1999 is released, marking his the fourth October in a row now that has a new Prince album. Uh, and while still credited simply as being by Prince, the words and the revolution are written backwards in the I-shaped space, uh, in the I in Prince. Which is Mm -hmm. fitting because a member of the band does appear on nearly every track on this album. Uh, But before we go any further, let's hear a little bit of the song 1999 and then we will discuss the record. I think for me this is where that blend of topical lyrics and romantic start to blend together successfully right
1: yes i think this is the album where prince really finally like completely puts it together like the first two albums mm-hmm. i'm not a fan of controversy i do like dirty mind both mm-hmm. of those albums feel not quite there or not quite all the way polished considering what we knew would come later this album here in 1999 is the one where i think he finally puts it together and you're right it's the, it's a combination of the topical and, and romantic lyrics but it's also just the musicality of it i think it's just a whole step up on this album from the first two
0: yeah i i definitely think this is his first great album like he's made plenty of good albums before but this is the first one that's truly great i think because yeah it is the lyrics are great the music is great every single song sounds uh unique but all runs together in a great sequence i think it's probably also one of the rare this was a double album i think it's one of the rare ones that doesn't need to change at all i
1: I agree with that yeah and there's going to be another one sign of the times that comes later that we'll talk about which i think Mm -hmm. is also a, a double album that that stands on its own as a double album too
0: yeah and part of i mean this there's only 11 songs on here you'd have to basically make four minute versions of each of these for it to be a single (laughs) album but because i certainly wouldn't cut any but yeah i think yeah i mean 1999 little red little red corvette are obviously huge singles i think those are both great uh i love lady cab driver that was one that uh later on the record that i really liked i think there's not a bad song on here
1: yeah, lady cab driver was all right. Uh, international lover is great, um, mm-hmm. which ends the album, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I I appreciate. Uh, okay, so international lover. Oh, that's the that's the one where he he comes on the he comes on as the pilot, right?
2: Uh huh.
1: Yeah, that's the one. Uh, if there is a loss of if there is a loss of cabin <laughs> if there's a loss of pressure, I will come down and apply more. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, that's such a great line. Um I love uh I love Prince's like I'm having sex from start to finish songs. Uh this is why <laughs> all of these have to be double albums, because all of these are like eight to ten minutes long, which considering yeah. his reputation, you would think they would go longer, but eight to ten minutes, that's fine. <laughs> um yep. where like he just like it 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 doesn't it starts out slow like the the song is fine there's nothing there's nothing super spectacular about it and then just gradually over the course of eight minutes it builds up and builds up and it becomes this kind of epic orchestral he's screaming at the highest possible pitch into the microphone and it all works like it's all just just intoxicating
0: yeah it's it's such uh, and that's kind of the way the whole album is it's just start to finish like you just can't yeah. stop listening to it it's it's so great and it 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 have, the album has a great build the songs themselves have great builds which i something we say all the time but it's true prince was the master of, of the of crafting a whole arc of a song
1: you know right right and like really turning it into an epic. Like you're right. If this would not have to be a double album if these songs were four minutes long, but you know what? They're not. I'm Prince.
0: Screw you. Yeah, exactly. They don't. They're they are more than just a four minute song. Each of these. Right. Right. And this was the most people seem to feel the same way because this is his first top ten selling album. It's hugely successful commercially and critically. This is when uh, he really starts to open up. You know, he'd been selling totally fine before, but this sends him starts to send him into the next stratosphere. Which would only be elevated then, of course, on the next the next album, which yeah, after this uh guitarist Des Dickerson would leave the group, which would then uh, Lisa would recommend her girlfriend Wendy to join the band as her as his replacement, and so that's when Prince is officially ready to dub the band the revolution and so this is the core lineup that would basically remain for the next several years, including on the next album, which would be the first one credited to Prince and the Revolution. Uh, and for the first time since that uh, debut album came out, th- there would be a Year Without a Prince album in so 1983, clearly a, a dark time for pop music. But, as uh, chronicled
1: in the classic Rankin-Bass animated special, The Year Without a Prince <laughs> album.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I watch it every year. But, uh, <laughs> it's
1: a Halloween classic. <laughs> uh,
0: but that would only be because Prince was, of course, hard at work on a movie as well as an album. And so, of course, in June of 84, the album Purple Rain would be released, followed by the movie in July. Uh, you can hear our thoughts about that, of course, in the season one episode. But uh, needless to say, I think it's still a fantastic album.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Although you said you, you were thinking you kind of softened on it a little bit. That time.
1: I, uh, you know, it's a good album. Having listened to all of these others, I think, I think there are others that are better. I think 1999 is a better album than Purple Rain. Um, yep. I think Purple Rain is actually a little bit of a step down. And part of the reason is that there are songs on Purple Rain that I just straight up don't like. Whereas on 1999, I don't really, there, there aren't any songs on 1999 that I, that I don't like. There are songs that I like more than others, but like, yep, mm-hmm. that one's good. That one's good. Totally okay with that. Uh, if I never have to hear Darling Nikki again, I will be a happy man. <laughs> Um. Yeah. And there are a couple other songs on Purple Rain that I think of as duds. Whereas there are a couple of other Prince albums that we'll talk about that that don't have any duds on it. So, uh, for what that's, I think worth, that's fair.
0: Yeah. I, th- I feel like "Darling Nikki" specifically kind of got overplayed since it was that one that set off uh, the well. Yeah. There's music council yeah and...
1: the whole controversy and everything. But I don't. Yeah. I just don't even think it's a good song to begin with. Is the problem like?
0: Well, and, and that's, the, that's enough, what I
1: agree with Tipper Gore on. Like, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't think children should listen to the song because it's bad.
0: It's funny too, because that's actually one that what that Prince did do all himself. So that's like yeah. where the revolution didn't have any input. So that's that it is kind of telling that in this era, I think he's benefiting from the collaboration mm-hmm. of his band. But yeah, uh, that, it's still the album was hugely successful. It's probably one of the biggest albums of all time. In uh, 1999 was the first step, but the Purple Rain exploded after that. And so this is, after this, he establishes his uh, Paisley Park Studios and Paisley Park record label based in Chanhassen, Minnesota, right outside Minneapolis, and would immortalize that on his next album, which he got right to work on, of course. I uh, deliberately wanted to go in a slightly different direction uh, for this one rather than trying to just make Purple Rain 2. Uh, so in April of 85, he releases Around the World in a Day, a few weeks later, releases the first single from it, Raspberry Beret. We'll so play a little bit of that and then we will talk about the album. that song that's a great song yeah and I, yeah. I think you know obviously he goes a little bit more psychedelic on this album it's a little lighter than some of the more rock stuff that he'd been going to before but i still think you know there's not there's this is still very much a prince album and i think there's even you know there's evidence of some of this style earlier than this i don't think this is where he decided to suddenly go uh, a little lighter but ultimately i, I think it's a really fun album still
1: yeah it's definitely more experimental and you said it's uh, you mentioned psychedelic it's also i think it's interesting that this is the more experimental album that he does in the 80s he goes in a different direction but it's also got and and let's talk about this like i'm gonna say raspberry beret is the most like poppy radio friendly song of all of his big hits you think about purple rain 1999 Mm -hmm. little red corvette uh, Kiss got a couple of others but I think Raspberry Beret is just kind of straight up the the song that fits the most on just like a top 40 station and it's put on this otherwise very relatively very experimental album which I think is fun
0: it's true it almost kind of like it almost grounds it a little bit having this like a little bit yeah. sugary pop song right in the middle of a little bit more experimental stuff do you agree uh, with
1: me on that? Is Raspberry Beret the, the most radio-friendly? Because I, I could see different people having different opinions on that. I
0: think that's probably true. I think it's it's got such a great hook. It's yeah. The lyrics are not uh, overly alienating, like maybe some of the more sexualized songs would be. Uh, but it does still have, it still has that Prince flavor to it. I think it probably is the most accessible song that he's probably put out, right?
1: Yeah. That Prince flavor to it would be another good Prince song, by the way.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. I wonder if there was one. <laughs> He's put out so many songs. We didn't so listen you
1: to any to of the '90s albums. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, and then who knows what's in the vault? I don't know.
1: Oh God, yeah.
0: But uh, I think uh, "Pop Life" is another one on here that I really like. That's probably mm-hmm. that and "Raspberry Pi are probably my favorites on, on the album. Um, it did receive a little bit of a mixed reception following "Purple Rain," but. Otherwise, I mean, still sold millions, so wasn't anything bad there. I, and I do love the closing song too. "Temptation" is such like a grimy mm-hmm. blues jam that mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a great way to end it.
1: Yeah, very different from ending the album with "International Lover," but yes.
0: Yeah, I think it. It's still it just shows more of his range still too. This whole yeah, album yeah. does, I think. I think Prince is still finding ways to experiment in in ways that feel authentic and still feel uh, uh, exciting. I think you know this is his what's sixth or seventh album already. I mean Seven, he's he's put out so much music Seventh, that yeah, it's it's nice to be this deep into your career and still find ways to surprise people, you know yeah, uh, but as soon as that album released, Prince was of course already hard at work on the follow up, which would blossom into his next film project as well. Mm-hmm. under the Cherry Moon would begin filming in France in the fall of eighty five. Uh, with a script by Becky Johnson and originally being directed by Mary Lambert, who had directed many of Madonna and Janet Jackson's early music videos, but would quickly be replaced by Prince himself after filming began. Uh, Prince and the Revolution would contribute the songs for the uh, movie, with composer Claire Fisher composing the score. A soundtrack would uh, be released as Parade, Prince's eighth album, in March of 86, a few months prior to the film's release. Let's listen to the song Mountains, which is performed at the end of the film, and then we'll discuss the whole project. So the story of the film is Prince plays a man named Christopher Tracy, who along with his cousin slash brother slash partners slash never really elucidated what his <laughs> relationship is, uh, his partner in crime named Tricky, played by Jerome Benton, uh, there are a couple of con men who seduce wealthy women in order to steal their riches, and wouldn't you know it, this time Christopher falls in love with their target, yeah. Mary, who is played by Kristen Scott Thomas in her film debut. Uh, like you said earlier, I watched it for the episode, and I will bear the lead no further. I like this movie. <laughs> I think it's fun. You think it's fun? You I think, think it's fun.
1: I can't yeah, I, I th- like I can't make fun of you for this because I saw I saw Cats the movie in theaters last year, and I thought that was fun. So you know, I to think each, to each their own.
0: I think this is a more fun, well, it's differently fun movie than Cats, but I think it's a I think it's actually a better <laughs> movie than Purple Rain too. Okay, all right. Which uh, I mean, I think Prince is a better actor in this one than he was in Purple Rain. I Which think for the fair. most part, yeah. the the cast in general does a pretty good job. I thought the film looks. I mean, great. Kristen
1: Scott Thomas is a really good actress just in general. So
0: yeah, and th- there's a couple spots where maybe their chemistry is a little off. I mean, like uh, honestly, the the chemistry between him and his partner in crime was a lot more <laughs> palpable than right, the one right. between her. But but also, I mean, there's none of the kind of unfortunate homophobic uh things and misogynistic things that pop up in purple rain occasionally Mm. so it's a much more tolerable ride for uh, but it's also just fun it's like a kind of a predictable you know where it's going especially if you've heard the album but uh it's just like a nice easy going 90 minutes of black and white prince goofing around it's pretty fun
1: can we can we put the, can we put just any of that on the like on the the Blu-ray <laughs> cover as your blurb like yes. under the cherry moon a much more tolerable ride Andy Wait
0: <laughs> yes please you can pull any of those quotes for the back of the box I'm happy to give uh, give the allowance but better than uh, cats
1: I... Andy Wait
0: <laughs> D- differently entertaining than cats
1: differently entertaining that's right sorry you didn't say better. <laughs>
0: Yes, please. If you're going to pull my quote, you have to at least uh, pull it (laughs) accurately.
1: Let's put it in parentheses.
0: But uh, some spoilers for the end of the movie. The Mountain is performed by Prince in heaven after he's killed by Mary's father. So (sighs) that's also automatically a great ending to the movie, I think. It's also that actually ended up being one of my favorite songs on the record, too. I think that's a great Mm. song
1: yeah it's a good and song none there's there's no songs on this album that stand out for me as like particularly great print songs it's a it's a solid album from start to finish
0: i think yeah i mean kiss is obviously the big single from this um which is another great song but mm-hmm. uh, uh yeah and, and a lot of it is about half of them were written you know kind of before the movie and then the rest are written kind of with the movie but uh yeah I think it's fun and I I like uh, the closing song too Uh, sometimes it snows in April I think that's a beautiful song to close it Mm -hmm. on Uh, yeah overall I think uh, watching the movie actually did make me like the album even more too which uh, I wasn't sure which direction it was going to go before I watched it but uh, it was pleasantly surprised Uh, Christopher Tracy was also the pen name that Prince used uh, for the Bangles uh, Manic Monday which he wrote around the same time too oh I didn't know he wrote that song yeah
1: Oh, that's some guy named Christopher Tracy wrote it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, tr- Christopher Tracy's dead, unfortunately. But. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I, I I enjoyed this one. It I it, uh, was surprised. I was happy I watched the movie. Um, but then, during and after the touring for a Parade, uh, Prince begins crafting what would have been, the next Prince in the Revolution album, tentatively titled Dream Factory. Uh, but before it could be completed, he decides that he's kind of moving on from the Revolution. Uh, creative differences is kind of the uh, expression I see tossed around the most. But I think at this point, Prince is just kind of less interested in collaboration with them. Uh, He would bring in more and more non-revolution performers, which kind of annoyed the group. They They felt like they were getting sidetracked. And then eventually, I mean, he was always been such a prolific singular performer and creator that I'm honestly a little surprised that it lasted as long as it did. But, uh, He's also creating, during this time, music under the alter ego, Camille, featuring a pitch-shifted vocal uh, track. And all of these songs together would kind of be combined to what was planned as a triple album called Crystal Ball. But Warner Brothers refused to release a triple album, so he trimmed it down, reconfigured it into his actual ninth album, the double album, Sign of the Times, which was released in March of 87. Just before we get into it, I'm going to play a little bit of uh, one of the surprises for me, Starfish and Coffee. Then we will discuss the album.
4: It was 745, we were all in line to teach miss Kathleen. First was Kevin, then came losing. Third in line was me. All of us were ordinary, compared to Cynthia Rose. She always stood at the back of the line, a smile beneath her nose. My favorite number was 20. every single day. If you ask me what you had for breakfast. What she say? Starfish and coffee, maple syrup and jam, but.
1: I, I think this album is, is great. I think this is his best one of the of the decade. And it is fascinating that this great album comes out of such a wild background. Like, I'm going to make a triple album performing as somebody else where I'm changing my pitch and I'm going to do all of these crazy things. And then it it finally just kind of gets condensed down into this just fantastic double album.
0: Yeah, I think it's probably like, you know, we hinted to it earlier, but it's another double album that I don't think you can cut anything yeah. from. And that's probably because it was a triple album that you probably could cut stuff from and you did. You so. cut
1: quite a bit from to, to make <laughs> this. Yeah, like the story of how this album came to be is just such a train wreck from start to finish. And then it gets released and it's like, oh, oh, this is this is actually quite good. Thank you. Thank you,
0: Prince. Yeah. The uh, the song we played, Starfish and Coffee, was co-written by uh, Susanna, uh, Susanna Melvoin, who was Wendy's sister and Prince's girlfriend at the time. Uh, it basically describes during the chorus, uh, that's my typical Waffle House order. I don't know about you.
1: But... Right, right.
0: <laughs> Starfish but, and Coffee. Yeah. But I think it's a fun one. I think it's a, it's in the perfect point in the album where it's like a little moment of levity. I think Prince always knows when to inject humor into something. Mm. And I think it, yeah, it's another little nugget that I kept returning to on this album, of, of, of How- which is full of fun songs.
1: How is the starfish at Waffle House? I try to avoid the seafood.
0: You know, you got to go at the right time, but okay. uh, yeah, it depends who's working. <laughs> but. Right. Yeah, I usually, I, you know, I get my hash browns, you know, scattered, smothered, and starred, and I go from there. <laughs> But yeah, they, uh, you know, obviously, Sign of the Times, the song is a big uh, single off of here. Um, uh, Slow Love was another song that I thought was really mm-hmm. great. I love, thought uh, that one was a good one, too. You Got the Look, I think is a great song. Yep. Uh, if I Was Your Girlfriend, which he does in that Camille voice, I thought was a good song. There's a lot of good songs on here.
1: Yeah, you uh you just rattled off several of my favorites uh but not my actual favorite off of this album which uh I would never have thought that uh one of my favorite Prince songs of the decade would be a song that sounded like this but The Cross.
0: Yeah, that's a good song too. That's a really
1: good song
0: and that one along with uh forever in my life are you start to get a taste of the uh the more religious prints right I think Yeah. there's gospel tinges to these but yeah that that is a good song with a good build too and it's just a great mm-hmm. guitar part yeah there's i think that was a good one too which which also surprised yeah. me
1: and and that's the one that I was thinking of back when we were talking about controversy where like in the early eighties Prince is trying to be political and to say something and is just not really mm-hmm. saying anything of substance. Later in the decade he comes back around, and it's like, Okay, now I'm ready to speak and he comes out with songs like The Cross, and it's like, Okay, now you're saying something, right? There's there's substance to this. Not necessarily substance that I entirely agree with, but uh, uh, but but thought provoking at the very least, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. And I mean, sign of the times too. I mean, right at the top yeah, it exactly. mentions, yeah. uh, it mentions AIDS, which had been yep. still b- barely touched upon by popular culture at this point, I think mm-hmm. in 87 is not, and certainly not acknowledged by, uh, you know, people who would maybe be able to do something about it, Yeah. but which, you know, p- people talk about, uh, we're still in the middle of the COVID epidemic now and people having the tone-deaf observation of can you imagine the government ignoring an epidemic like this and it's like well you don't actually have to look that <laughs> yeah, far back God, can
1: <laughs> you imagine that happening
0: <laughs> yeah but yeah i think this is a top to bottom a, a success for sure
2: mm.
0: and uh, there is a uh concert film based around the album that was released in november of 87 that uh, at the time of this recording is on amazon to watch if you want uh and is is great i think it it's another another moment where I miss live music still, but it was, and and miss <laughs> that I will never be able to see Prince live in person. But mm. it's a great great concert film. I think he closes it with the cross too, so which uh, yeah, it's, it's a, good,
1: a good closing song.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I do appreciate that that you know we're, we're recording this in advance knowing that people are going to be listening to this who knows how long down the road so you're prefacing all of this with you know at the time of this recording this is on amazon at the time of this recording blah blah, blah. i noticed you didn't at the time of this recording the fact that we're in the middle of the COVID 19 epidemic because we're probably <laughs> still going to be like two years from now right
0: yeah i know i don't know if uh, the couple months that i'm going to that are between recording <laughs> and release of this are going to be the difference but I'm I'm less confident that it's still on Amazon Prime as I am about uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) that is fair yeah
0: (laughs) yeah I mean this is uh, another one that was wildly successful and and often considered his best album uh, uh, not just of this era but of all time perhaps Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, the one of the the second to last song it's going to be a beautiful night was recorded on the parade tour so it's the only one on here that features all of the revolution still so that's the last Mm -hmm. recording of Prince and the Revolution. Uh, He originally intended to follow up Sign of the Times uh, with what is now referred to as the Black Album, which is an LP that Prince recalled shortly before it was originally going to be released at the end of 87, uh, but not before a few promotional copies could get out and become widely bootlegged. Uh, His reasoning for recalling it uh, and destroying as many copies as he could was that he felt it was too, in his words, uh, bitter and angry, and he wanted to make something more positive and uplifting to match his new outlook. Uh, mm-hmm. so that that new direction is what influences his actual 10th album, uh, the last one we're going to dive into here, Love Sexy, released in May of 88. I'll play a little bit of the first song, I Know, and then we will discuss the album. Welcome to the
4: new power generation. The reason why my voice is so clear is there's no smack in my brain. <laughs>
0: first thing that you notice with this album... Well, the, the cover is definitely the first thing you notice with the album. But the second thing you notice is that uh, every song on the CD, and I think it's the same on all the streaming services, is all one track. This is just one yes. 40, 45, 47-minute continuous track.
1: Which annoyed the hell out of me when I was listening to it on Spotify. <laughs> so I'm like, I just want to skip ahead to the next song here.
0: Yeah, it, it made it... You know, if, uh, listening to it on CD... Um yeah I mean if if you stop it you're gonna have to hope you remembered where you were, because you'll have to yeah exactly you have to resume. Right. Uh,
1: I am very surprised that more artists don't do that, because especially now in the age of CDs, well yeah now in the age of CDs uh, <laughs> and all of these other like digital means of of uh, of listening to music, like that's what we've got now. It is very easy for anyone listening to an album to just skip to a particular track or skip around wherever they want. If you're an artist. I can imagine you want people to listen to the entire thing from start to finish as God and nature intended. And Mm -hmm. a very easy way to do that is to just be, is to do the annoying thing of having the the disc or the album be only one track. But uh, very few artists do that. Prince did.
0: Yeah, it it is surprising, especially for, you know, the songs all, they have transitions and stuff that go between them, but it's not like, uh, uh, you know, something like. Uh, metal from Pink Floyd where the whole second side of the record is one 20-minute song. You know, this yeah. isn't... This is still, uh, you know, 10, nine or ten songs. They're individuals, individual songs that are just yeah. happen to be strung together.
1: Like, even even Side B of Abbey Road, that whole medley, like, you can yeah. still skip from track to track on the album, or you can still listen to them separately, even though it's clearly meant to be one piece.
0: Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that was definitely surprising, and it did make it so that uh, as that I had to essentially listen to it all in one go all the time. Uh, when I had it saved to my phone, I could of course like if I started in the car, I would throw on the headphones and pick up where I left off, which was nice. But but yeah, you have to make an effort to listen to it start to finish, which yeah is something that it does kind of surprise me that less that not as many people have done. But it's also the first time now that uh, the first song we the song we played I know is written with an I uh, instead of the letter I, which is the first appearance of that. And then uh, that would be another one of his trademark uh, Prince-style writings.
1: Which, I mean, I guess. I, was, <laughs> I, I was guess. I never a yeah. big fan of Prince doing that.
0: What's funny is uh, the memoir is written with that, with I's and U's and 2's, Right. And I thought. Right. I thought the first couple of pages I was like, uh, I don't know. But then uh, eventually you just get you get over it, and you just you just read it like anything else. But it's funny. It also includes his handwritten notes and stuff, and he he wrote it out that way also by hand. So.
1: Like Noah Webster tried to do that with the English language back in the back in the 1700s when he was making his dictionaries. Like we need an American language that's different from the English language, so we're gonna do all these different spellings and we're gonna spell everything phonetically. And a couple of those things survived, but for the most part, he he puts out this book with with Americanized spellings of everything, and everyone just mocked him for it. And he stopped doing it after a while. Uh, <laughs> As a and, and you know, eventually we'd all get used to it, but we didn't at first and we're like, No, 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 Noah, you're you're being an idiot here. You can you can channel your energies into more interesting and useful things. Prince just kept going all in on that, like even more and more into the nineties.
0: Well, maybe yeah, maybe by like he introduced him bit by bit for that reason. Maybe if he did him all at once, people would have said, No, you oh, can't. Oh, that. that's but... it, yeah.
1: <laughs> He's, you start slow and then build up and build up, so by the time you get to the end, like people are speaking a different language and they didn't even realize you'd done it.
0: Yeah, we're just 10 albums in. Nobody's going to question him anymore. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. You, you had to get to the point where you couldn't be told no.
1: Sure, I know, whatever.
0: <laughs> uh, it's also the first mention of the new power generation, which would mm-hmm. become the name of his backing band and sometimes side project uh, moving forward, as well as the name behind his eventual independent uh, record label, NPG Records. Uh, I think in general, you know, one single track aside, it's still very upbeat. I think it, it accomplishes his goal of making something that's not bitter and angry. I think it's a, it's still a lighthearted, fun listen, uh, definitely heavier on the gospel themes, um, Alphabet Street and I Wish You Heaven were both singles. And I think those are two that stood out to me listening to it that I thought were good. Mm -hmm. Um, what did you, what did you think overall of the actual songs?
1: I thought this one was fine. Uh, there's nothing that really super stood out. Alphabet Street is is all right, but mm-hmm. I, I spent the entire I spent this album listening to it, trying to decide if I liked this better than Controversy or if Controversy was better. Uh, mm-hmm. But both of those are are definitely my bottom two.
0: I think yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's almost. I think he has. You know, part of it is that. The closer you get to gospel, the less interesting it is to me personally. Not that it, there's Maybe. anything wrong with it, but and I think that uh, was
1: uh, Yeah, I think I think you're probably right, which makes it which makes it even more interesting to me that I like the cross so much, because that's as mm-hmm. gospel as he gets, and I love right. that song, but I think just in general you're right.
0: Yeah, it it feels like, you know, especially compared to Sign of the Times, it feels like he has less on his mind at least, right? There's less uh, uh yeah. less to say almost. I think, but, you know, he did eventually, uh, in the 90s, release that uh, black album officially, but even then, only for a limited run. I would love to hear what that sounded like, but copies of that still are like $100 minimum, if you can find one.
1: It's on YouTube.
0: Is it? I I, I checked, like, streaming, but I didn't see it... uh... If, you're probably right, I'm sure it is if i I, I searched for like it. I
1: didn't listen to it, but as you were as you were talking about it it's like, oh, you're right he, he that album does exist. I wonder if it's there and I just did a I just did a Google search and it pops up on YouTube, so I am going to have to listen to it later.
0: I always forget about YouTube for things other than videos, you know what I mean yeah, I know a lot of people YouTube, YouTube is a music, great but...
1: source for for material that you're technically not supposed to be able to see <laughs>
0: yeah that's that's definitely true. Uh, But after this album, he would be contacted, of course, like we mentioned, to contribute a song or two for the new Batman movie, which in true Prince fashion, uh, he responded by recording an entire album for it. Uh, And that was released alongside the movie in June of 89, uh, which became another platinum selling record for him, which was good because Love Sexy actually was his uh, lowest performing record at that time. It only went gold by the end of the year. Uh, so Batman was another and Like you said it probably was a lot of people's introduction to him at that point Especially if you're oh, young yeah. watching the new Batman movie
1: I mean I was nine years old That was my introduction to uh, Like non kitty movies mm-hmm. uh, The previous movie that I had seen in theaters Was an American tale So I went from an American tale to Batman So that was a shift nice. uh, That was the first I'd ever seen Jack Nicholson in anything That was my first introduction to Prince Like There were a lot of firsts with that movie for me
0: yeah, I'm sure you're not alone.
1: That was the first time I'd ever seen Michael Keaton's actual face because the only time I'd ever seen him before was in Beetlejuice.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. And even then, you only saw it for half the movie. He had a mask on there. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> All done up in makeup.
0: I know. Michael Keaton really had to just build up the confidence to just show his face, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and you, Yeah.
0: And then you get to Multiplicity where he shows it repeatedly on multiple Like a whole characters, bunch right? of times.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then we get to Birdman and he just reverts back again to the, you know, to the, <laughs> yeah. to the base.
0: Uh, but Prince would kick off the nineties with another, uh, film album combo, graffiti bridge. Uh, but the early nineties also saw his dis- disputes over his song royalties and general ownership with Warner brothers start to come to a head, uh, and would begin releasing albums at a rapid clip in order to just get out of his contract. And famously, changed his name to the symbol known as Love Symbol Number no. 2. He would often be referred to then as the artist formerly known as Prince, as we knew him for a long time. And then in 1996, he was finally free of that contract and celebrated with his 19th album, Emancipation, released on his own NPG Records. Uh, he would continue his incredibly prolific career over the next 20 years, ultimately releasing 39 studio albums among other works, side projects, not to mention whatever he's recorded but never released right up until his death in 2016 of an accidental uh, fentanyl overdose, a victim of the ongoing opioid epidemic here in the U.S. Uh, he left behind, obviously, an incredible legacy of music and art that we have really only scratched the surface of here today. And I think one quote in the book that he said, uh, he was giving advice to uh, Gwen Stefani, actually, and he said she was having trouble you know, working on her first solo record. And he said, don't try to write a song, try to write a hit. And I think that's something that is evident from all of his albums. Like Prince knew how to write a hit for sure, to the point where he was just giving them away to other people, too, right? Like we mentioned, Manic Monday. Yeah. Uh, Shaka Khan obviously had a big hit with I, I'll Fear For You, which is just a not even a single from that record, but just buried at the end. So, I mean, Prince could write a hit with what seemed like without even trying, but he was just writing so many all the time that I think he's pretty unparalleled in that quantity.
1: That is also the most studio executive advice I've ever heard from anyone. Don't try to write a song. Don't try to be good. Try to write a hit. Hit the top yeah. 40. Give me a number one.
0: It's true. but something on, about Stefani. Something about Prince saying it, though, it's like, oh, yeah, you're right. I should. What am I thinking?
1: <laughs> I got a lot of money riding on this album, Stefani. Give me. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, that brings us uh, to which ones were the hits for us. So uh, let's dig into our top five Prince songs. Uh, and Aaron, why don't we start with you?
1: All right. So as I as I mentioned to you before we started, uh, my top five is real heavily dominated by one album in particular. Uh, honorable mention, by the way, for You Got the Look off Sign of the Times, which is a, a great Uh, a great song and definitely my number six but it didn't quite crack my top five because Mm. i was just so enamored with uh if there's a loss of cabin pressure i will go down and (laughs) apply more so my number five is international lover off 1999 because i just i I can't deny that uh that like southwest airlines level uh uh statement at the end
4: And this plane is fully equipped with anything your body desires. If any reason there's a loss in cabin pressure, I will automatically drop down to apply more. To activate the flow of excitement Extinction Clothing materials And pull my body close
2: to yours Place my lips
3: up over your
1: mouth And kiss her, kiss her yeah. uh, Number four is Delirious, also off of 1999, which we didn't really talk about too much, but that's another mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. song. My um, number three is The Cross, off Sign of the Times. got I've got two big hits as my as my number 1 and 2. Number 2 is a little red corvette also off of 99. Is Raspberry Beret.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's a good list. Yeah. For, for with me, with apologies to Purple
1: Rain as well, because that's a that's a great song at the end of Purple Rain. But uh, but I, my top five, I'm 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 confident about my top five here.
0: Nice. Well, yeah. For for me, uh, Purple Rain will get its due, so don't feel mm. too bad okay, about good, that. good. But uh, for for my number five, I go with uh, the beautiful ones from Purple Rain, which. Mm. Might have only been in my head so much because of the title of the book, but either way, I think it's a great song. Whatever works, yeah. Yeah. another one that just builds and builds to such a great point uh for number four for me i go with uh 1999 from 1999 mm-hmm. uh, and then for number three i go uh back to purple rain again for let's go crazy i think has to be one of the best opening tracks uh maybe in any album i think Mhm. Number two, uh, I go with Mountains from Parade. That ended up being one of my favorites that I I kept coming back to. I think that has a great groove. It really sold uh, the end of the movie, and then I think it also is just one of the best songs on that album. And then number one, Purple Rain again, title track, Purple Rain. Nice.
1: good between the two of us covering almost all of the the big singles
0: that's true yeah between those two lists you've got 10 of some of his biggest songs i think go
1: to hell kiss
0: <laughs> but yeah so then uh, which one i think these might both be obvious but which album ended up being your favorite prince album
1: uh not obvious i went with sign of the times 1999 has got some of my more favorite songs on it but i I, like i went back and forth on this it's definitely those two but i think sign of the times start to finish is the better album
0: okay mine mine is still purple rain i think that's Mm. if i was gonna pick just one it would i would still have to go to purple rain but 1999 and sign of the times both were very close yeah I think my number, of...
1: my number three is actually dirty mind uh oh, if thanks. i'm if I'm ranking them all uh i'll I'll go a little bit lower on purple rain, but yeah, wow. it's definitely ninety nine and sound of the times for me
0: yeah for, for for me purple rain i mean even darling nikki i don't I don't think even if it's my least favorite, I don't think I would skip any of the nine songs that are on that album i think it's yeah just start to finish it's so good. But uh, and sign of the times, it's funny. Was one I kind of had the same feeling you did about um, the the Shaka Khan album, where you're like none of the songs were your favorite, but you loved the album. Yeah. I, I, I almost was that way with sign of the times, where there wasn't any songs specifically that I loved, but the whole album, start to finish, was one that I loved. Yeah. And it is such. It's very much Prince. I uh, mean, obviously he's found his voice ten times over by this point, but it it's a it's a complete statement that I really enjoyed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, three of my top five songs are off of 1999, but I think if we expanded it out and made it the top 10 or a top 20, then there would be a lot more representation for Sign of the Times in there.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, next time on the show, we'll take a listen to perhaps one of the only other artists to record a comparable amount of music to Prince, uh, Mark E. Smith and his English post-punk band, The Fall. So that should be interesting. Until then, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to Prince, the revolution, the new power generation, and everybody who made all this creep music a reality. Thank you to Prince and Dan Pippenberg for the wonderful book, The Beautiful Ones, and thank you, Aaron, for joining me.
1: You forgot to thank Under the Cherry Moon.
0: Oh, and, of course, thank you to everybody cast and crew involved <laughs> in Under the Cherry Moon. I think you got wrongfully overlooked. Uh, I think you don't deserve those Razzies, uh, but thank you for, for entertaining me for 90 Minutes. Thank but you. anyway, <laughs> don't forget, it's never too late to discover great music that's new to you. I'll see you next time. See ya. thought it would be fun this week to take the first 10 albums of Princes, the ones we heard today, along with his first two, and rank them. I've been in the ranking mood the last few weeks, obviously, but it's a fun exercise. So check that out along with the show notes over at actin.wordpress.com. It's actin.wordpress.com. I also made a playlist of my favorite tracks from those albums that I'm really happy with. You can search for Prince, The First Ten Years on Spotify. There'll be a link to that in the show notes as well as on Twitter. Speaking of which, follow us on Twitter at andyhearsit, facebook.com slash andyhearsit. You can email me at andyhearsit at gmail.com. Rate and review the show. Tell your friends. Let me know too what your favorite 80s tunes and albums are that I still need to hear. Let me know also what your favorite Prince albums are post-80s. I'm curious to get people's thoughts on that as well.